Gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. When I was in uh, grade school, I went to a wonderful grade school and uh, had great teachers. And I, I recall uh, being in fifth grade, and it was the habit in those days um, for the classes to go to the local skating rink for a skating party once a year. And um, our class, our fifth grade class, was there, and and they had this large board. Um, visible to everyone in the roller rink, and certain lights would come on, you know, it's like hokey pokey or something, and then you'd, you'd do that, and, and and then there was a sign that would come on that would say, ladies' choice, ladies' choice, and at, at that point, it was normal for all of us fifth grade boys to run to the bathroom, okay, because, I mean, I I don't know about the other guys, but at fifth grade, I had no interest in girls whatsoever, and and um, so Ladies' Choice came on, and suddenly, much to my surprise, and, and by the way, this never happened before or since, all right, but I had two girls fighting over me, and, and uh, I had uh, Don Wheeler on my left arm pulling me, saying, I got John, I got John, and then I had Luann Ayersman on my right arm pulling, uh, I've got John, I've got John. And I was in great distress, and I... I looked over to my teacher, Miss O'Neill, and she's giggling, you know, and and so I did what most boys would do. I ran to the bathroom, and well, I skated to the bathroom is what I did actually, and um, and here's here's the reason. In order to skate with Dawn, I would have had to have said no to Luann, or to skate with Luann, I would have had to have said no to Dawn. I couldn't do that. I simply couldn't do it. I didn't want to disappoint either one. And so I just ran, you see. And as I said, that's the only time I ever had to worry about that in my entire life. But it happened then. And it is a truth. When you turn toward one individual, you actually, whether you realize it or not, you're turning your back on other individuals in a very real sense. To say yes to one job offer means that you're refusing other job offers. When you marry one person, you're saying no to everyone else. And following Jesus is a bit like that. Jesus has been described quite correctly as the world's crisis. He is a crisis. Now a crisis is an intense difficulty. And Jesus brings about intense difficulty. He confronts every human being with this challenge. Follow me. And if you follow him, if you say yes to him, it means that there will be times in your life when you will say no to the people who are closest to you. There will be times in your life when you must choose between Jesus and your family or you must choose between Jesus and your job. Or you must choose between Jesus and whatever the government happens to be telling you to do. Or you must choose between Jesus and what your peers, your best friends, expect from you. For example, 
Today we have more interfaith marriages than ever before. And by interfaith, I mean Christians of one church body marrying Christians of another church body. It happens, happens a great deal. And we want those marriages to succeed just as we want every marriage to succeed. But Jesus should be primary in that relationship just as he ought to be primary in every other relationship. So, if you are in a church that you know teaches the truth about Jesus and the gospel, and your spouse wants you to abandon that church for a different church that you know does not teach the truth about Jesus and the gospel, I strongly encourage you, number one, to remain in that marriage because the marriage bond is created by God himself. He makes the two one. And to respect that bond is to respect God who made it. And secondly, I encourage you just as strongly to remain in that church which you know teaches the truth about Jesus and the gospel and don't abandon it just because of your spouse's bad theology. Your abandoning the truth will not help your spouse. Your spouse and your children need you to remain faithful to what you know to be true as a witness to them and as a witness to everyone else. Stay married as far as it depends on you. But even more importantly, stay with Jesus. Jesus said, if you remain in my word, you're truly my disciples. When my sister and I were in our teens, we stopped going to church. And my dad stopped going to church. But my mother did not stop going to church. And so every Sunday morning, she'd get in the car, pull out of the driveway, and I'd, I'd watch her leave. I thought, you know, you're abandoning us for an hour or two. And I didn't much like that. But she would abandon us for an hour or two in order to be with Jesus and with, with his body, which is the church. And that was, it turns out, that was the most important thing she could have done for us on Sunday morning. She remained faithful in spite of her family. And years later, that would inspire me to do the same. There will be times when you must choose Jesus over your family. And that's actually the best thing you can do for your family, even though it's difficult and even though they don't understand at that moment. My friends, Jesus did not come to make your life easy. When Jesus confronts you, there's no middle ground. And and you can't just run away to the bathroom like some confused fifth grader. I direct your attention to the back of your bulletin. Our gospel reading for this morning, verses 51 to 53. Let's start in verse 51. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on... In one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Roman numeral one, 
Jesus divides. He divides. My sight, Luke 14, 26, where, where our Lord says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. To follow Jesus means this. Although your parents are very important, they remain important to you, your spouse and your children remain very important to you, they are no longer most important to you. Jesus is. And that's where the friction comes. Family members will think of you. Well, it's okay for you to follow Jesus if it never interferes with what I want you to do, or if it never interferes with what I want you to believe, or if it never interferes with what I want you to affirm. But Jesus said, Whoever loves father, mother, son, or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And that creates resentment in the family. And the question this morning is, can you handle that? Letter A. The coming of Jesus creates a crisis in families. I cite Matthew chapter 1. It creates a crisis in the family of Jesus. Mary is expecting by the Holy Spirit, but Joseph doesn't know that. So he decides to divorce her quietly because he's a righteous man. He figures, you ought to marry the father, and I'm not it. Until the Holy Spirit intervenes, and an angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph in a dream. There's a crisis. In Luke chapter 2, Joseph and Mary take the infant Jesus into the temple in Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, and they're confronted by a man named Simeon. And Simeon says, this one, meaning this little baby, is appointed for the fall and for the rise of many in Israel and for a sign that will be spoken against. And a sword, he looks at Mary and he says, a sword will pierce your own soul as well. That's a crisis. And then later in Luke 2, Jesus is now 12 years old. And his parents and Jesus go up to Jerusalem for the Passover as they regularly do. And when the family leaves, Jesus doesn't leave. He stays in Jerusalem, and a day later, it's, I don't know where the parents' heads were, but anyway, a day later they discover he's not there with them in the caravan heading back to Nazareth. And so they frantically head back to Jerusalem, looking everywhere, and after three days they find him in the temple, and Mary says to her son, Son, why have you treated us in this fashion? Your father and I have been looking everywhere for you. And he replies, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? You see, that's a minor crisis, but it's a crisis. This is what Jesus does when he appears on the scene. He disrupts things. He's a disruptor. And he needs to be. Point B, Jesus disrupts the status quo. The drift away from God. That, that's true in every family. Without Jesus, there's a slow and steady drift away from the Lord. You drop out of Sunday school, then you drop out of church, and you drop out of volunteering for different things in the church, and then we don't see you anymore. And then, you know, it goes on and on. It just evolves like that until there's a crisis, until there's some intervention by God himself. And, and, and why do we need these crises? Why, why do we need disruption? Well, Roman numeral two, because the wrath of God is coming. 
<laughs> the wrath of God is coming. Now, I know it's not politically correct to talk about wrath. Okay, You hear very little. In, you can go into most any church in Columbus, Indiana, any given Sunday, and you're not going to hear any mention of hell. You're not going to hear any mention of the wrath of God. And that's a shame because, letter A, it's mentioned more than 600 times in the Bible. The anger of God, the wrath of God, it's talked about quite a bit. If the Bible is so vocal about God's wrath, why are we so silent? Just asking. Letter B. It's not bad temper on the part of God to be wrathful, but a manifestation of God's holiness. It's a manifestation of his holiness. See, anger is how goodness responds to evil. You get angry, rightly so. If you don't get angry, you're morally indifferent. Well, that's a big problem. Let's let her see. Oh, and by the way, there's a mistake here. A wrathless God, I think yours reads, does make him more attractive. No, it does not. <laughs> a wrathless God does not make God more attractive. I put a carrot above that and write the letter not, or the word not there. It does not make him more attractive. It makes him morally indifferent, and that's not attractive. Moral indifference is not a characteristic of God. It's a characteristic of the devil. Now, Jeffrey Epstein is morally indifferent, or was. That's not anything to emulate. And so, you know, people object to the wrath of God today, and, and they ask, well, why should God be wrathful? Why should he threaten us with destruction? Because we break a few laws of his. Why? Well, my friends, God does not threaten to destroy us because we despise his law. He threatens to destroy us because we despise his love. To despise God's love revealed in Christ is much worse than despising his law revealed through Moses. And the only unforgivable sin, the only one, is to persistently and purposely reject God's forgiveness, God's love in Christ Jesus. Because to reject his forgiveness is you placing yourself outside of his salvation. We do that on our own, without any help from God. And so what about this wrath? Uh, Roman numeral three, the wrath of God, and here's the good news, the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus, sparing humanity. When he says at the beginning of our gospel lesson, I have come to cast fire on the earth. He means he is going to be the recipient of that wrath from God. Not you, not me, not Jeffrey Epstein, but Jesus, sparing humanity. And St. Paul writes these words in Colossians 1, For in him, meaning Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, God has set aside blood for a very special purpose. It's for making atonement, making satisfaction for sin. That's the purpose of blood in the Bible. That means a life must be given up, and that life is Jesus. And so letter A, his is a bloody baptism, which brings peace with God. Remember when he was praying in the garden? 
he was sweating great drops of blood. It's a bloody baptism. And he hasn't even gotten to the cross yet. Okay. And then 1 John, the apostle writes, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's the cleansing agent for sin. It's, I know it sounds funny to us, but that's how God works. And so by his mercy, you are fireproof. The fire falls on Jesus, not you, not me. John the Baptist said to those who were baptized by him, he said this of, of Jesus, he said, He will gather the wheat into his barn, that's salvation, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That is condemnation, the just condemnation of God. And this is what the scripture says about condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means you are fireproof with regard to any and all judgment from God. Letter B. Verses 54 to 56, it seems like it's not related to what's before, but it really is. It's, it's, it deals with recognizing the signs that God has given us. Recognize what's, what this era is all about, okay? Because he talks about signs in the sky predicting the weather, and we, we predict the weather based on what the sky's doing, right? And so he says the same is true with regard to the coming of his kingdom. You can predict the coming of the kingdom. You can see its presence because of Christ. The miracles of Jesus, letter B, the miracles of Jesus are sufficient signs that the kingdom is here, that, that God is ushering in the messianic age. And the, the coming of Jesus into a sinful world is necessarily disruptive. But Jesus enters our lives he turns us around and leads us back to the Father. That is disruptive, but it's the kind of disruption every sinner needs. It's an intervention. And then letter C deals with verses 57 to 59. Uh, this is an illustration of debtor's prison. Okay, And number one, debtor's prison is an illustration of hell. That's what Jesus, it's the wrath of God. Um, in, in all of its ugliness and awfulness, it's hell. That's what debtor's prison is just a kind of a, a, a very uh, vague image of. Hell is the ultimate debtor's prison. And number two, Jesus has paid the very last penny for you. He has purchased your way out of the fires of hell. So Jesus comes and he casts fire on the earth, but it's a fire which consumes him rather than you. It's a fire that consumes the innocent, and this fire spares the guilty. That would be all of us. And my friends, the most important judgment God could ever make regarding the human race, he made 2,000 years ago at the cross. And it is a judgment of forgiveness. It is a judgment of release from all condemnation. And it is a judgment in favor of each and every sinner. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.